As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. Coming up, Bees, Blackburn, Bleakness. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Sound ad free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. And we're back with the first of our bi-weekly chats about Chelsea. It was all going so well, wasn't it? But then Brentford rocked up and did what Brentford do. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look ahead to the Blackburn game as well. I am joined today by two of the Athletics' finest. Uh, Mr. Consistent, Luke Bosch is back with us, of course. First name on the team sheet these days. Luke, how are you doing? Yeah, all good, Matt. All good. Uh, surprisingly chipper, I think, after, uh, as you said, a bleak weekend from a blue perspective. All right, we'll try and find some positives. Uh, Simon Johnson, that's your natural game, so you'll be bringing the good vibes to this, right? I'm back to tell it as it is. Uh-oh. It's another this positive chat on the podcast. It's been far too upbeat. <laughs> I'm back to, to bring it back down to the level it belongs in the gutter. All right. Well, Chelsea hosted Brentford on Saturday. You know what that means. Good movement here from Mbomo. They still up a really good cross. And they're in front. Pinnock up from the back. And Brentford leads in this West London derby. The goalkeepers stranded here, trying to get back. And Bobo seals it. That'll do it. Very disappointed because I think the way that we concede the ball, we should not concede. And, and after it was really tough to break down the, the block that they, during the 90 minutes they played really, really, you know, low. Joe has been on to say, I'm expecting a Simon masterclass in misery. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like the guy I met in the pub after the game on Saturday. So I'm starting off with an anecdote. Uh, Here you go. And, uh, 
Yes, the South Africa New Zealand Rugby World Cup final was going on. I actually had my back to the screen. It was quite funny. So I was looking out at everyone watching the screen. I did actually one moment joke. They're all there to see me, but probably not. Anyway, this uh, this chap, uh, I won't name him just in case he's listening, but he, he comes over, he's, he's, he's an American, and he goes, uh, <laughs> he goes, he goes, Simon, I've got to talk to you about this. He goes, why are you so negative? <laughs> and um, yeah, we ended up having a very good conversation where I explained perhaps some of my some of my messaging comes uh, from my sense of humour. But no, I, I, I sort of defended myself from my negative. I, I like to think it is wisdom of watching Chelsea for so long. You get to read the patterns of what's happening. And hence why I was so uh, downbeat after the Arsenal game because I could sense how much of a missed opportunity that was and that as a result of that result, it had negative connotations that rolled into the Brentford game. I'll leave it at that. But anyway, yes, I'm back with uh, my upbeat nature. (laughs) All right. Uh, We put the call out as ever for tweets slash posts on X. Um, Lucy continuing to, to be absolutely phenomenal in terms of a gift game with that. At least that's something that we can cling on to. Uh, here's Peter who says, there seems to be a pattern where we turn up for big games and go missing against smaller opposition. Is it a mentality thing or can we just not play against a low block? Darren on a similar theme, low block bullied. How do we find that goal to overcome teams willing to sit back. Uh, Luke, is it too simplistic to say that if that Noni Madwek effort in the first half goes in rather than thuds against the bar, then it's a, a much easier day and, and Chelsea go on to win comfortably? No, I think that is... Um, there's definitely something in that, Matt. It's it's one of those where Brentford's first goal came out of you know seemingly nothing. Uh, a bit of a hopeful um, loft to the back post from Brian and Bumo. And up to that point in the first half, well, you know, throughout the first half, really, Chelsea had played very positively. They were finding space in between Brentford's midfield and defence. You know, Madweke was getting in some space. Cole Palmer was running the show. And I think you know, half time came at a bit of a poor time for Chelsea because I think Brentford were able to shore up a lot in the second half, even before their goal. And with regards to those tweets, I think it is, I think it's a combination of, of both mentality and you know, struggling to play against a low block, which is, you know, when you have a young team, as Chelsea do, both of those things are going to be a factor because on one hand, you you simply have to learn how to play against a low block. You have to develop that through playing games and, you know, players like Noni Madueke, Cole Palmer, Nicholas Jackson will develop that part of their game as they get older and more experienced. And in terms of mentality, um, you know, you see it from the best teams. You see it from Manchester City all the time when maybe the first 45 minutes doesn't go their way. Maybe they even concede, but they back themselves to come back and create chances, even if the opposition go even deeper. You know, we saw it, saw it from Arsenal when they played Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. You know, they and you have to say they are one of the best teams right now. You know, you, you never felt that Arsenal gave up in that game. And I'm not saying Chelsea gave up, but. I think as soon as Brentford scored, there was just a little bit more panic in how Chelsea played. And there's, I mean, you know, I mean, even if you play five aside or 11 aside, if you're dominating a game and the opposition gets a goal, you know, you feel the tension 
you know, everyone's maybe a little bit more erratic. They're trying to play a perfect pass. And if you're the defensive team, you can often be a little bit galvanised by, okay, this siege mentality, we've got the goal, we can stick in even more. Uh, and I think Chelsea really struggled with both aspects of that. Uh, Simon, I'm approaching middle age, if not there already. So the phrase low block does annoy me a little bit, not as much as generational talent or star boy, but um, I do find it quite irritating. But this is a problem that, that Chelsea haven't worked out how to deal with, right? As Luke says, how impactful therefore was it that Enzo Fernandez and Mikhailo Mudrik both pulled out of training late on Friday and therefore weren't available to play? Would Mudrik's pace have, have been something that could have unlocked the Brentford defence in a way that, that Chelsea didn't manage to? Well, I'm not sure about that. After, I would say the game changed midway through the first half, actually, or certainly in the last 15 minutes. It sort of um, suddenly Brentford switched on to the fact they were leaving Chelsea with far too much space. But in that 25, 30 minutes, that Chelsea team created enough to be one or two goals up. It wasn't just Nani Medwecki's crossbar um, shot. I, I mean, Mark Cucurella's pass back to the goalkeeper when beautifully picked out. Cole Palmer, Raheem Sterling snatching at a shot inside the penalty area. Uh, just, just three examples spring to mind, and then, and then noticeably, as the first half, you could see the Brentford dugout getting more and more cross. Thomas Frank was tearing some of that wonderful Barnet, sorry, hair. <laughs> Barnet is uh, another word for haircut. In case you uh, listening from abroad, <laughs> I'm explaining some slang uh, there. I know about hair slang because, uh, yeah, it's all I can talk about. Um, anyway, you have missed me on this podcast. <laughs> so um, anyway, with 15 minutes to go that first half, they, they did start to retreat. Funnily enough, it turned on the moment I said in the press box, right? So all this stuff about me being a moody old so-and-so. I said to the people around me, I said, this is one of the differences this season to last season. Chelsea playing better football and they're playing quicker. None of that sort of slow, slow, slow passing stuff. And it's almost like that's when I jinxed them because suddenly they stopped passing it quickly. They started passing it really slowly. Like It was like 2022-23 vintage had suddenly reappeared in front of my eyes. And that always helps a defensive side. And Thomas Frank did say post-match that Half-time was a good chance for him to get into them a bit more, into his players. And they came out. I mean, you could see at some points there was 11 men behind the ball sort of in the last 35 yards of the pitch. So in answer to your question, as always, I've gone around, around the houses. But in that scenario, Mudrick has not, not got the pace to run into. So I'm not sure... It's hypothetical, isn't it? But I'm not sure him necessarily would have made the difference. He may have made the difference in the first half an hour when there was a lot more space and Brentford were giving them more space. Enzo, I think you could argue, would would be more missed in the sense that his passing ability may have opened up things a bit more. But the amount of crosses that were going into the penalty area for a, a Didier Drogba or a Diego Costa, they're not there. Nicholas Jackson disappeared. I don't know where he went in the second half. I still think there's a missing ad out there. Have you seen this man? And perhaps that's part of the problem that as much as we were upbeat about Nicholas Jackson when he joined and his pre-season form and, and all the encouragement, he, he now seems to have lost that bit of confidence and he's starting to hide in his shell a little bit. 
Yeah, he got a bit of a pasting from uh, Alan Shearer on match of the day too uh, on Jackson. Akio Mbokwa, um, apologies if I got that wrong, says, how has Nicholas Jackson gone from looking like Drogba's regen at Villarreal to mimicking Drogba's start at Chelsea, showing promise to looking almost incompetent after an international break that he didn't participate in? It's mind-boggling. Uh, Hersher says, I appreciate Sterling gets a lot of unjust criticism, but is it really unfair to expect him to have even half of Salah's output given he's paid as much? He's been at the club for a while and has plenty of experience. And it's not that long ago that he had a part in every goal at Burnley. So maybe forgive him a bit of an off day on Saturday. And Damien says midfielders are good, but there are no goals in them. Puts pressure on forwards and we all know they can't handle that. Um, that's an interesting point, Luke, I think, because we've kind of spoken a lot about Chelsea doing okay defensively this season, but I'm just looking through the list of goal scorers. Palmer's got a couple of penalties, but other than that, there aren't really many people chipping in you know I'm thinking of Conor Gallagher and, and Enzo Fernandez in particular needs somebody to start stepping up and, and weighing in with a few goals maybe that'll be Chuck Wemeka when he comes back yeah you're right Matt um Chuck Wemeka you know looked very tidy um to begin this season and obviously got that really really nice goal against West Ham in the game he sustained that injury and it's difficult because Conor Gallagher has showed that he can be a goal scoring midfielder I think he got eight league goals while he was on loan at Crystal Palace playing as a sort of right-sided number eight, a position that he has played quite often this season for Chelsea, although he was in a slightly different role against Brentford. And Enzo Fernandes, of course, before his move to Chelsea, uh, not maybe a natural goal scorer um, in his short career so far, but scored that wonderful goal uh, for Argentina at the World Cup last year. So there are goals there. But as you say, I think it needs more contributions from midfield. And it's something that I think I said on the last pod um, is that Chelsea are quite light in midfield. You know, you take Enzo Fernandez out of there and, you know, I think Pochettino, fair enough, didn't give Hugo Chukwu at the start instead of Fernandez because they're completely different players and the young Frenchman's, you know, very inexperienced at this level. But, you know, beyond that, like, where is the depth? Yeah. There's no, you know, midfielder of a different profile that can come in and inject that kind of goal scoring into Chelsea. And I think, you know, again, it's it's the youth thing, it's the inexperienced thing. You know, you look at how Cole Palmer started his Chelsea career. He looks like a player that could end up contributing ten goals, ten assists regularly in seasons, but he's obviously not there yet. And I think, you know, Chelsea fans are probably sick of people and us saying it, but I think it's just patience with a lot of these players. It's just patience and and learning how to play together. Depth is a is a really important thing to touch on, I think, Simon, isn't it? Because you you looked at the bench on Saturday and you see two goalies and two kids who've been called up from should have been playing in the under twenty ones on Friday night, and you're thinking our best attacking option here is going to be Reese James, and and that's problematic, and and we're putting a lot of pressure on Christopher Nkunku, right? He was mentioned in the in the press conference on Friday. He's going to have to come in and hit the ground running, isn't he? Yeah. Good luck, Christopher. <laughs> Chelsea's season rests on your shoulders, uh, or on your knee, in fact. <laughs> um, when uh, the subject of Nkunku was raised on, on Friday, and the fact that it's quite funny, Potts, he, he, he sort of raised everyone's hopes. In the room. He's really, really close, he said. And then when he's pressed, what do you mean really, really close? He went, well, back after the November international break, maybe. So maybe in Argentina, really, really close means something different. But... Um, <laughs> but but it was still a positive. There we go. This should be turned into a drinking game. At times, I say the word positive, but that was a positive, right? 
because when when he was initially diagnosed, the the club was sort of saying a minimum of sixteen weeks, and I, I found the minimum word particularly concerning, and that was before he could return to training. So if he is back after the November international break, where there's some big games coming up, that is something to be positive about. But you're right, Matt, it's an awful lot of pressure to put on his shoulders. But when I asked Pochettino, what difference has his absence made, do you think, given that you he was such a key part of your pre-season plans, you could see how you were lining things up. And he, he thinks that he would have got eight to ten goals by now. Again, it's obviously a bit of a, we'll never know if that's the case. But I think it does give you an insight into what Pochettino's thinking that Nkunku would have made a size of difference, not just in terms of goals, therefore, but in terms of their points tally, where they are in the league table. So I think even Pochettino himself is putting quite a bit of hope and optimism into Nkunku's return. But yeah, it, it just feels like it's more the same, doesn't it? You know, it's rolled in from last season, constant injuries and updates and setbacks and the fact that they lost Enzo and Muzrik on Friday took the, the missing missing list to nine. I don't know about you guys, but did you feel that when it went down to seven, you sort of went, oh, it's only seven. <laughs> well, that's quite a low number. And you go, no, that's bonkers. And the only other thing I'll say, again, in answer to your question, is Pochettino does keep referencing that it will be so much better when I have a full fit squad to choose from. Not because of the obvious, but because of the competition for places and the, and how the levels can go up as a result of that. And I think we've sort of seen a hint of that with the way that, on the whole, Sterling, Madrid, Palmer have all started to raise their games a little bit with the fact they've all started scoring and, and, and doing quite well. So you can kind of see where he's coming from. Uh, there's a cautionary tale, though, right, Luke, in terms of Nkunku, because here we are having rushed Armando Breuer back because Nicholas Jackson was suspended and, and now Breuer's out with an injury to the other knee. And, and this is the problem that often happens, isn't it? If you get a serious knee injury, when you come back, you're quite likely to injure the other one or, or pick up little niggles. So it's not like they can just fling him straight back in and say, OK, you're starting every game now. Yeah, Chelsea are obviously very well versed with uh, rushing players back from injury. Reese James in particular springs to mind and I just think from my perspective this season not that it's a write-off but you know it's a, a transition season perhaps as they say and I just I I wouldn't want to see Christopher and Kunku in a Chelsea shirt before New Year realistically um, I'm, I'm very much of the opinion that you should save players ease them back uh, not rush them especially as you say with these kind of injuries that you know if you come back at maybe 85-90% you put more pressure on other areas of your body and then you end up with other little niggly injuries, you know, on the other leg or, you know, on the ankle because, you know, you're not quite there yet. So I think that's, for me, it's just, just let him be. All right. A couple of other things from Brentford. Jesus Perez got sent off for entering the opposition's technical area. Neil Mopé got booked as a sub, which was probably the highlight of the day, to be honest. Um, and the referee <laughs> sort of tried to disallow the second goal for some reason. All, all a bit odd. Mopé, who hasn't scored in, I think, 34 games, decided to to pass up the chance of slotting into an open net and square it to his teammate, um, which is sort of throwing some shade at Chelsea in some way, uh, I'm sure. Um, Simon, we've spoken the last couple of weeks about the home record and the fact that the fans have been 
pretty patient. I mean, it was virtually empty, wasn't it, at, at full time? Is this the, the first sign maybe of, of things turning? And, and does that put some pressure on Maurizio Pochettino? Yes. I mean, I think the boos would have been louder if the if the um, second goal hadn't gone in. But that, that sort of really did lead to sort of like a half-empty ground by the time the final whistle did go off. Perhaps that's why it went to VAR. Perhaps they sort of went, Oh, let, let, let's give all the fans that want to leave early sort of a bit more time to get out before the before the final goes. It was bizarre, wasn't it? The ref spotted the ball up for a free kick, didn't he? He, he just like he was making it up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously, they thought perhaps the pass to Embremo maybe he was offside. That's the only thing. I but it just seemed weird to to even check it. I have to say. I, I was a bit bemused because it, it took me about a minute or two to realise what was going on. So like, hang on a minute, where, why is the ball over there? But yeah, there is a bit of pressure, pressure on Pochettino. There has to be. And, and again, this was my frustration after the Arsenal game. You know, the, the voice note I left, I know I got a bit of stick for it and the piece that I wrote afterwards. But it's because I knew what a psychological moment that was. I've covered this game long enough to know how these things can impact a squad and a mood around a club. The defeat on Saturday would still have been really disappointing, but beating Arsenal at home would have just bought Pochettino a bit more time. It would have sort of said, okay, here's where things are going. Now it's sort of, okay, it's more, more this, this home run, this sort of only beating Luton five points from six games. Of course, the home run also goes into uh, last season as well. And I actually think the fans have been Given how bad it's been for over a year, I think they've been pretty good in the grand scheme of things. They've kind of have been pretty patient because you're talking about a group, a fan base that has has tasted the the riches of you know seeing Champions Leagues and Premier League titles, and they haven't turned on the team too much. Maybe more on social media and 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 so on and so forth, but. Yeah, I, I don't think the pressure's just on Pochettino. I, I think a lot of the frustration may be aimed at the owners because, well, how many coaches now have tried to turn their Chelsea into a successful team? Perhaps the problems were a bit deeper, uh, run a bit deeper than the coach. So maybe some of the frustration is also going to be aimed at the owners going forward if this continues. Mm. Uh, let's finish the Brentford game with uh, some positivity from at CD11 who says wish everyone would stop overreacting we played some good football in the first half see more of a plan from Poch in 10 games than any other manager since Conte uh, well Poch has got to come up with a plan to beat Blackburn in the League Cup that game happens on Wednesday night we'll look ahead to it next looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So Chelsea can reach the quarterfinals of a cup competition this week. There's a positive spin for you. All they've got to do is get past a bang average championship side at home. Sounds easy, doesn't it? Uh, on paper. Let's see if the reality matches that. Uh, I asked the chaps to pick a team. Prasanna, somewhat psychically, had sent us one unprompted. He's gone with Petrovic in goal, a back four of James Dizazi, Badi Ashil and Matson. Then Enzo, Ugachukwu and Matos in midfield with Madweke, Washington and Mudrik as the front three. Let's see how that chimes with the chaps. Uh, I think, Luke, that we're all going to put Georgia Petrovic in goal for this game. Am I right in thinking that that's who you've gone for or are you sticking with Sanchez? Yeah, that's uh, that's where I'm at. Um, I think it's, you know, I'd love to get a, a look at the new man um, and see what he can offer. I actually thought Robert Sanchez played really, really well against Brentford, made some good stops. And although there are a few heart and mouth moments with his distribution, I thought his passing, particularly in the first half, was excellent. So I actually don't think he needs the confidence builder of being in goal against a, a lower league opposition and it's a good chance to see Petrovic. Are you going the same way, Simon, or are we going to see Eddie Beach make his debut? No, I'm going with Roger. I'm calling um, calling him Roger from now on. My, my joke is that he, he gives another chance to the opposition. Very good. Luke, Luke won't get that, but it's a 90s dance here. Okay, so you're not going with Petrovic? No, because and and this is my my theme of the uh, of my team. No messing about. This competition is huge for Chelsea and for Pochettino. So, I'd like to see Petrovic, but we haven't seen him so far. So I, I don't think making a change. And this, obviously, despite what I wrote last week, I don't think now's the time for experimentation and for giving people a chance. It's all about players that have played consistently and the one thing you can say about Sanchez is he he has been sort of the regular goalkeeper so I think you, you're taking risks if you're now and people go risks what against the championship side I, I just think it's it's all about getting through to the next round this league cup is one of Chelsea's two chances of winning a trophy and you know just just imagine if uh, if things go wrong for Petrovic as well. So, yeah, I'm going Sanchez. And um, when I leave my voice note on Wednesday night, let's hope I, I don't eat my words if he plays and he has a shocker. I put Petrovic in goal. Luke, I've gone for a back four of James, Dizazi, Badi Ashil and Matson. Um, and the player that I'm most concerned about there is Matson because I thought he looked like a headless chicken when he came on at the weekend. And that's a sign of a young player who's been played all over the pitch except in his favoured position. So I'd love to see him play at left back. Are you sticking with four at the back? If so, who's in it? Yeah, four at the back for me, Matt, and exactly the same four as you. Um, great chance to see Matson in his natural position where he excelled for Burnley last year and Badia Shiel hopefully getting some minutes under his belt after coming back from injury and being on the bench for the last couple of games. Simon, you thinking similarly, do you need Reese James to, to start this game, for example? I have gone with Reese. I think he's pretty much my only not surprising change, but given he's only had a couple of sub 
appearances. But I think I'm thinking Spurs a little bit as well. Um, you, you kind of want Reese to get up to speed and hopefully a, a start, even if it's 60 minutes, you know, just, just get more minutes into his legs. But the rest of my back four is Disassi, Colwell, Cucurella for the very same reason as I've just gone on rambling about. All right. So we're all keeping Disassi in. Um, he was a little bit shaky, I would say, on return on Saturday, but he's been okay. Other than that, I guess. Uh, my midfield three, Luke, is Ugachukwu, Gallagher and Mad Weke. Can you offer me any advance on that or are you even changing the formation a bit? Uh, I've gone for more of a 4-2-3-1. Um, so I've just gone for a pivot of Ugachukwu and Kaiseido. Oh, okay. Nice. How about you, Simon? My Mine is reliant on Enzo being back. But let's just say he's fine because Potts did say it was pretty minor. So... It's sort of re-establishing uh, uh, or re, uh, reuniting rather that midfield of Casado, Fernandez, and Gallagher. Okay, uh, who's your three then, Luke? I've gone for Madueke, Palmer, and uh, David Washington. And the one that I'm most worried about there is Cole Palmer because he's racked up a lot of minutes uh, so far since joining Chelsea and having not played that consistently for Manchester City. And we've seen it before where a player does this and then their bodies aren't used to it and they pick up an injury. But I just think with the rest of the team that I've named, Blackburn being the opposition that they are, I think Palmer's creativity will be uh, essential. And this is where we talk about the lack of depth. I'd love to play someone else there, but I'm not confident enough to play anyone else there. All right. I'm fascinated you've gone for Washington in that three. So who does that mean you've got up front then? Is it is it Jackson to try and get some confidence in him? Yeah, uh, Jackson. or And I'm assuming is not fit. Um, but it's whoever if Broy is fit, I'd you know maybe give him a start. But yeah, Nicholas Jackson just to try and get him some confidence. Okay, I got Palmer in my team as well, Simon. But Luke's kind of talked me out of it there because he needs a, a bit of a rest, perhaps. I've also got Alex Matos in there just because. Um, give us the rest of your lineup, please. Palmer Jackson, and again, dependent on that he's recovered from his knock, um, Mudrick. So I, I'm going for. I've got my chips in. <laughs> gone full in on the table. As I said, Chelsea need to win this game. Obviously, if 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 Madrid's not ready, because also I'm sort of thinking Monday, you know, that they've got that extra time gap, which is also another reason why I've gone pretty strong. There's plenty of time for players to recover here. But um, you know, if if Madrid's not ready, then obviously I'd, I'd still go with someone like Sterling. You know, it, it really is that important, I think. That's going to be interesting to see if Blackburn go full strength. There are some uh, championship teams who like to rotate in this competition as well. They are 12th. They got beaten at home by Swansea at the weekend. They're only four points off the playoff places, though. Uh, it's the first time Chelsea played them since 2012. They've been at the Premier League for a long time. They have been banging the goals in in this competition, though. They beat Walsall 4-3, won 8-0 at Harrogate, and then put five past Cardiff to get the tie against Chelsea. Uh, Luke, are they going to low block it? Give me a prediction for this. Are we looking at another day of struggle or is this when the plan starts to come together? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's quite hard to call. I think you know Blackburn will obviously sit back and try and catch Chelsea on the break. But you know, I hesitate to say this after saying it pre-Brentford. But I think Chelsea basically whatever team they put out because the depth isn't really there. I think they should win and win comfortably. So I'm going to go with like a 2-0. All 
Okay, I think we'd take that, wouldn't we, Simon? This is quite an evocative fixture for Chelsea supporters of a certain age, or am I just thinking about that time when Brian Laudrup was really good at Ewood Park and, and Zola scoring against them? Yeah, crikey there. That, that's one of the, the all-time classic games, that one. Um, yeah, it doesn't bring back many happy memories for me, I have to say, especially trips to Blackburn. Oh, my word. It's... <laughs> The fact you mention it, it's one of those places that I'm trying to think if it's worse than Burnley, because obviously it's only just down the road, but very, very similar kind of all-day events. But yeah, you sort of forget that Blackburn have won as many Premier League titles as Liverpool. So um, yeah, that that does bring back memory. They, they, were, they were the sort of, could you say the original Chelsea or the first Chelsea that suddenly... Money came from nowhere and they were able to spend their way into becoming a totally different outfit. And then, it, unlike Chelsea, it just completely disappeared in, in a, a flash of an eye. But I hasten to add, I think Chelsea had a bit more of a um, foundation of success before Roman's money turned up. All right. Well, whatever happens in the game, we will, of course, react to it on our Thursday pod. Just to say, listener, because you can't see this, but that little dig... Uh, that we all enjoyed that Simon made against Liverpool uh, was the happiest that I've seen Lucy since presumably she was bopping away at S Club 7 this weekend. Uh, Right, elsewhere in Chelsea news, it was a miserable weekend all round. Uh, The under-21s lucky to escape with a point from their game against Leicester on Friday night. They took the lead through Brodie Hughes in the first half, but Leicester then bossed the game and deservedly equalised late on uh, the Dev squad in Premier League International Cup action on Tuesday night. The host, Dinamo Zagreb, you can see that on the Chelsea app. And the under-18s lost 4-3 at home to Spurs in the league a week after winning 4-3 away to Spurs in the Cup. So, um, I don't know, something quite pleasing about that in an odd way. Um, but not really because it meant that nobody won uh, for Chelsea this weekend because the women's team weren't playing because they had an international break. That is a very rambly way for me to finish the show, Simon. So help me out and tell me what you're writing about for athletic subscribers to enjoy, please. Well, um, I've only just got back from, well, it was a weird vacation, partly interrupted, as I think Ilium explained last week. But um, I've yet to speak to editors and stuff about what we're going to do but there are things in the it sounds like the cop outline there are things we're working on in the pipeline but i can't talk about them yet okay uh luke do you have an opinion on simon using vacation instead of holiday would you call your uh rubbish garbage instead of rubbish hey i have an american wife <laughs> yeah it comes through occasionally doesn't it um and you could see it there i guess you you may be Maybe you used to push your daughter in a stroller rather than a pram. We we of course work for an American company as well. So yeah, I, I've gone full in on the American life. You know, I'm going to move there soon. Take my upbeat nature across the Atlantic. <laughs> They'll love it. Uh, Luke, help me out here. Tell me, there's something on the Athletic that we can use as a plug. Um, lots of Ballon d'Or content, uh, award ceremony tonight, men's and women's, and the uh, Copper Trophy as well, which is for the under twenty one players. So. Um, you know, whether you're listening to this on Monday or later in the week, there'll be lots of reaction, live coverage, all that good stuff. All right. Good luck to Sam Kerr. Uh, I don't think there are any of the Chelsea men's players nominated this year. I'm going to go out on a limb and, and make that 
guess without double checking it. Um, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up. If you aren't currently a subscriber, we will be back on Thursday when we'll break down the thumping win against Blackburn in the League Cup and look ahead to that Monday matchup against Tottenham too. Join us for that if you can. Until then, bye for now. The Athletic.